Genre. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Two Towers, one awkward silence at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell, and joining me again today is... Yes, I'm uh, Niall McGowan from Bat Minute. So, hello again, everyone. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately, Cassandra is still sick, so I have a special guest host for a few minutes here. Yeah, I am, uh, as uh, one of the people in... The, the 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 Facebook page put up. Uh, I'll be acting as the mouth of Cassandra the, for for this these next few episodes. Uh, so she actually is li- quite literally speaking through me. Like I've, this has all been written down for me. But I'm just saying what Cassandra wrote. So you're still getting her technically. It's just me saying the stuff. Yes, that is another one of my favorite extended scenes from Return of the King. Actually, oh, I that, love the mouth of Sauron bit. Oh, that, that 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 is my favorite scene of like the whole the whole thing. Pretty much the whole saga, and it's only it's kind of quasi because it's so kind of it's it's great, but it's also kind of ridiculous because it's just the fact that like I remember reading in the books where they're like, oh, the mouth of Sauron is just a representative, a representative, and even the, the book illustration that had that copy was like it was just a guy. It's just like I am the mouth of Sauron. I am speaking on his behalf. But then Peter Jackson was just like, no, he's got to have a huge mouth because he's the mouth of and Sauron. No eyes. Yeah. I think he just looks like Judge Death. <laughs> it's like. All right, that's it. but it's, 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 oh, you can't see it because of uh, the the podcast format. But it's just the you know the mouth of Sauron bids thee welcome, and it just shines this big weird smile at them. It's like this is awesome, but it's also really kind of silly as well. It's like I love it so much. Yeah, I don't mind talking about stuff from the Return of the King when it comes up because it's going to be you know probably over a year before we get there. Oh, yeah, I mean, so, to that scene, that'll I, be, the, be like, the extended edition on the extended edition DVD is there's. Like original footage of that scene of the guy with the regular sized mouth played <laughs> side by side with the big with the the big one, and it's just so weird to to look at. Yeah, it uh, makes you kind of appreciate just how much bigger they made his mouth. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, I remember because we were um, like years before the, the movies came out, we were taught Lord of the Rings in uh, in school. Like, it was part of the English course. Mm. Was like do Lord of the Rings. I always distinctly remember that. The teacher's interpretation of the eye of Sauron was that it wasn't literally a giant flaming eye. It was that the eye of Sauron is a sort of disembodied presence, and that Sauron is essentially comes like a ghost. And it's the eye of Sauron is just, it's just a kind of a me- metaphor for like, oh, well, you can see everything because he's omnipresent and whatnot. And uh, then the fact that Peter Jackson is very literally like, no, it's a giant flaming eyeball. <laughs> like I remember in the movie, it's been like, I don't think that's exactly. What it was, what Tolkien meant, but then I, I I'm not an expert on the book, so I, I know there is the bit with the Palantir where he let the you know um, Mary does a great the, eye wreathed in flame, yeah, yeah. But then I think his whole thing is like, oh, that's just you know it's metaphorical and whatnot, and that's just one ass. Maybe he's literally just seeing Sauron's eye peering back at him, but it's part of a larger whole and stuff like that. But again, I know in the the you know the illustrations of Tolkien did of Mordor as well. You see Baradur has got a freaking eye. They believe it does have an eye on top. Oh wait, no, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting it mixed up with the Peter Jackson version now. See, it's all so muddled to me. It's been, <laughs> it's been too long. But I always remember that being like, oh yeah, he's quite literally 
gone. Like, no, it's a giant eyeball on top of the tower. And the mouth of Sauron has a big mouth. And then if it was, like, the hand of Sauron, there'd be a guy with a giant hand would come kind of, like, limping out or something, dragging a, hi- a hand behind him. Yes. Perfect. That'd be... I'm all, f- I'm all for silly stuff like that occasionally in much more serious work. Oh, it'd be like, great, it, though. It, help, they, it they helps ha- break up the tension and, like, remind you that we're all here to enjoy a cinema experience. That's the way I feel about stuff like that most of the time. Uh, but it'd be great, though, if they had, like, um, like a scene like in Power Rangers or something where, like, all the bits of Sauron got together. And it was like, you know, uh, <laughs> like, you know Sauron, activate! And, like, the mouth of Sauron jumped up. And then there was two eyes of Sauron came together. And then they all formed into this <laughs> giant guy. And it was just like this kind of bizarre hodgepodge Frankenstein-esque <laughs> character. Like at the end, of oh. that, that was what uh, you know the again jumping the end of Return of the King. But I know that troll that Aragorn fights outside the gates was originally supposed to be Sauron. If they had put in that yeah. idea, I'd have been all for it. <laughs> but <laughs> so today we're actually going to be talking about minute one hundred and sixty-one of the Two Towers, which starts with. Legolas continuing to speak in Elvish. Uh, yesterday he said, and they should be 300 against 10,000. Mm. And it ends with uh, Gambling saying to Theoden, your men, my lord, and we'll get the rest of his line tomorrow. So <laughs> this minute starts with a bit of an argument between uh, Legolas and Aragorn, or Leggy, as Orlando Bloom refers to his character in the commentary. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like, have you ever had this done to you? Like this, I, I feel that he switches to Elvish because, as we mentioned in the last minute, they all have heard him be like, "Oh, you know, sort of throwing some shade." Yeah, throwing some shade on the people. But as he's like, "Oh, they they can hear me. I'll switch to Elvish because none of them will understand that." Which is a thing I've had done to me, where like I had um, people staying at my house one time. It was like one of my housemates' brothers was staying with his wife, and she was Russian. And so, like, every time other people in the room, they only spoke Russian to each other. But it was always in very hushed tones. So all you were thinking is, like, they're, all, they're obviously talking about me, right? Because they're staring at me, whispering something in Russian while looking at me. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, Legolas has been very transparent with us. Like, okay, these people, are they can hear what I'm saying. So I'll just switch to Elvish, and then they'll, they'll stop them worrying. <laughs> they won't, right? They won't. Ar- Aragorn understands me anyway, and he's the one I'm trying to talk to. So, <laughs> And then... Aragorn kind of shoots back. They have more hope here than defending themselves in Edoras. And Legolas very plainly says, if they fight, they will die. <laughs> they are all going to die. But the thing, like, what, you know, Legolas isn't... Is it, I, I never took the character elsewhere to be this much of a pessimist. Because, like, what... what I guess that, yeah... Because right, this isn't from the book. They created this for the movie to kind of amp up, amp up the tension leading into Helm's Deep, kind of fracture our our main characters a little bit, make it a little more tense before everything kind of closes in around them. Yeah. And I get that. You really want you really want the tension to be at a real peak before a battle sequence so that you can slowly let the tension fall through the battle with a couple more peaks and valleys and then get a really nice resolution where everyone feels like they've accomplished something at the end of the scene. And this yeah. is a long battle scene. <laughs> so it requires a, a long buildup as well. Uh, and I mean, I love the buildup to Helm's Deep. It's my favorite section of the movie. Mm. Is once they once the refugees get to Helm's Deep to the 
to the start of the battle is definitely my favorite section of this story. Yeah, yeah. But the but, 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 but that's the thing though, like but, but Legolas's attitude though, it's like who who's he helping right? here though by it's been like, oh we're, you know, they're all gonna die. So it's like, well did you, I mean obviously do <laughs> What are we gonna do about it, buddy? What yeah, can so we do about it? That's why you think, oh, oh, you know, you're right. Let's call in our emergency army. You're way more qualified that we only get out whenever our back's against the wall. Like, you're totally right in that, Legolas. Sorry that we left it so long. Or, you know, Aragorn, you know, just breaks the fourth wall. Look, man, it's not like we didn't kill 200 orcs, just me and you in the last movie. Like, we got this. We'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, like, They're so worried, but it's like, how many Urukai did you guys mow down at Amon Hen? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you see Legolas kill 12 in the span of like three seconds in one of the one of the scenes in that that battle we think maybe that's what he's actually trying to say it's like Aragon we got this like don't send out all these people <laughs> like it'll, it'll take like a couple of minutes longer but we, me and you we can handle this whole battle ourselves <laughs> we just need to stand on the bridge and we got it it's fine it's like uh, yeah, maybe Gimli can do something too but like don't Gim- just... Gimli will bumble around and wind up killing a hundred guys by himself it's fine <laughs> um, it'll be okay but the... well, Aragorn really is having none of this right now but also we've talked a lot on the podcast so far so far about how in pretty much every other scene that has to deal with death, Orlando Bloom is playing Legolas like he doesn't really understand what death means, and yet here he's very plainly just like, they're all gonna die. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, because, yeah, the... It makes more sense that he wouldn't understand the concept of death being an elf and whatnot, and essentially immortal, so... But, like, uh, maybe he can only understand death when it's through, like, an orc's hands. He's just like, well, that's how people die. When orcs kill them. Gandalf wasn't killed by an orc. He must still be alive. <laughs> and then the, the Aragorn's like, oh, no, dude, Legolas, you don't understand. And then <laughs> like later on, he's just like, all right, okay, yeah, you proved me wrong with this one. But in general, like usually you can't die in a multitude of, of fashions. But uh, I guess they could have given these lines to Gimli, but then it wouldn't really suit him either, because Gimli is much more of a rough and tumble, just like, hey, let's just get on with things, sort of. Right? Like, he's so excited to blast the war horn. He's all about the battle. Yeah, he obviously has that classic line in Return of the King as well. The whole like you know, slim chance of survival. I say let's you know let's get to it. Like he's obviously, you know, he's a guy who he was up, he is up for a fight in under whatever circumstances that he has coming to him. Yeah, doesn't matter to Gimli. He's he's just there to he's having a good time, <laughs> and he and then Aragorn has that then I will die is one of them line, which oh. I. Which I do actually really like. I like this moment and this sort of awkward silence much more than the previous scene with Eowyn, which is my least favorite Eowyn scene. But uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think get... that whole scene is just kind of awkwardly put together, and it's it's not in the theatrical. It's something they cut and they put back in the extended, and it is one of it's one of the first scenes they shot with Miranda Otto. You can tell by the wig. Yeah, yeah, and um. I will say though, like not to go, because uh, I do, I do also love the, you know, the whole thing. Oh, and then I will die with them because of just the, that's just the sentiment of it, and it just makes out Aragon to be like, this is a great, this is a guy you want to be king. Cause look at how right? he's w- willing to he's die. Such a noble them. guy, yeah, yeah. But I will say not to go back in t- to the, the Mount of Sauron <laughs> scene, but he, when Aragon has to shout, he does. I think he kind of puts on a slightly different accent, like we kind of briefly talked about it last episode, but cause I do, yeah, he he definitely does. 
Because yeah, remember in the Mouth of Sauron scene, because he comes out and he has that, May the Lord of the Black Lands come forth! And it's like, that doesn't sound like Aragorn. <laughs> what the hell? What voice is this? And he has a little bit of it here as well. It's gonna, he, he suddenly just switches into this completely different accent. Yeah. I like his outfit during that scene too. When he, like his king armor almost. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, but yeah, it's that's all, the, the, the whole, the accent switching, is, it's almost as, gre- as egregious as, maybe like I really picked up on it because I'm Irish myself, but like um, Michael Fassbender in X-Men First Class. There's like. I still he, haven't seen that. Oh, it's a great movie. It's like, it's, I'd say it's the best of the X-Men films, but there's a bit where like, you know, the, most of the movie he's, he's, I think he's going for like a, a upper crust English accent. And then in the final sequence, there's a big, there's a big thing on a beach. And as soon as Magneto appears, he's just like, well, now come my brothers, we will go and take out the humans. <laughs> like, what is, is switched into full Irish? Like what, what the hell is this? You think there's nobody on set say, Michael, you're, you're doing the wrong accent, dude. Or was this filmed first? And then they were like, oh, he's like, I'm going to make Magneto Irish. And I was like, well, we got a whole scene in a freaking concentration camp in Germany. Like, what? He's not an Irish guy. Right. I know. It's so important to, like, Magneto's past that he's a survi- a Holocaust survivor. It's a good, they have, there's a, an excellent extended sequence of him as a child in that, the concentration camp in the beginning of this very movie. And then they're just like, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. What, maybe they were just near, maybe they were near the end of production. And they're like, just let it go. Just, 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 just let Fastbender do it. Whatever maybe it was just. Wants. Maybe it was just the best take they got. Yeah. It's like he can't, sh- he can't shout in the British accent. He can only do it in the Irish one. He's like Viggo Mortensen in those Lord of the Rings movies. Every time he'd switch into a weird, not Aragon voice. Yeah, he has Viggo almost has like three different accents. It's like whispery, normal volume, and shouty, mm. and they're all close enough. They're like, well, I guess that's like the same guy and like his speaking voice, but. Those are a little different. That's a little weird. <laughs> but, um, I have to say, though, because like, a lot of these, you know, Vigo himself, he still pops up in things from time to time. Like John Reese Davies, you, you can't stop that guy from being and stuff. But, like, yeah. What, yeah, the, the Orlando Bloom, like, what, what, are, what is your guys' opinions of him as, as just an actor? I think he's actually in my favorite movie. I think he's a fine actor, and most of the time he he's good, but. He has a lot of, like, the Keanu Reeves same face problem, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's always kind of making the same face. So I know um, he went through a good few years there. And maybe it was because of, like, the pirate sequels and, like, Elizabethtown movies. This weren't particularly that great. A lot for yeah. see, uh, that's like, my favorite movie is Elizabethtown. That's actually my favorite movie. Oh really? Oh, it's got like that's. So I was I was so geared up for Elizabethtown when it came out because almost famous is my my favorite movie, and I was like, oh, it's Cameron Crowe, he's back. And then I remember the the tirade of reviews that just hated it. So and then yeah, and, and for a while after that, like it was a good couple of years where people were just like, Orlando Bloom is just like a, a vacuum of talent. He is is su- such a bad actor. And I was like, I never thought he was that bad. But I see nowadays he's popping up in like little indie things where he's in. Uh, yeah, I was watching like Digging for Fire just the other week. I was like, oh, there's a lot of Orlando Bloom. Where the ways he's popped up out of nowhere in this little mumblecore well, I mean, thing. Now we have now we have Luke Evans who just kind of looks like Orlando Bloom and he's younger. So mm. I also remember he's uh, Orlando pops up in um, the Netflix series Easy, which is a great like if you if you like me like I just love mumblecore. 
indie dramas. Like, a, like a, if you just gave me some, like, oh, a guy in plaid, and they're just sort of the, the, the minutia of mid-30s life in, a, in suburban America. Like, oh, I love that. Um, but yeah, like an easy's about that. But there's a very full-on sequence where he, he and his wife decide they want to have a threesome. And then they choose uh, Kate Micucci from uh, Garfunkel and Oates. And you're like, oh, okay. And then I love Kate Micucci. Yeah, and there's a there's a full on, all of them 100 percent completely full frontal naked, having like a three way sex scene in an episode of Easy. And I remember the time I was going like, Orlando Bloom's having sex with Kate Micucci on screen, and this isn't like a bigger deal. It seems like this would be huge. <laughs> it's just like it didn't strike me as a thing that would be. But yeah, on on Netflix, I can't remember what episode it is, but it's, Easy's a very good show anyway. So I highly recommend it just in general. But that scene was really like, whoa, I did not expect to see these people doing this <laughs> at any point. I mean, I don't, ex- I never expect it when I don't, I guess I should just be over it by now, but I never expect Netflix shows to go there. Cause you know, people just have Netflix on their TVs as their TV and they have, you know, kids and stuff that just watch the service. Oh yeah. And, you know, most, most people don't care about parental controls. They never set them up. So I'm always just like, I can't, I always am just kind of taken aback when something goes really far in a Netflix original. Mm. I'm just like, wow. That's, what? <laughs> the thing is, is like, because there's no, even with like parental controls and stuff, there's like, there's, there's so much easier for kids to see anything these days. Like I remember when I yeah. was a kid, if you wanted to get like a tease of like a scary movie you weren't to watch, like, you'd have to go into like the VHS rental place and you'd be like looking at the back cover of nightmare on elm street looking at a picture of freddy krueger like oh that's really scary man and then be years later before you'd be old you'd pass for old enough to be able to see the rent the movie and stuff um whereas my niece is like a, like she's like eight and she's very very fascinated with uh it like you know, the the movie from last year and you know I, I, I get it like i would have been in that stuff when i was eight as well but she she has i, I love horror movies yeah and i always have i've always loved horror movies but the original it with Tim Curry just always freaked me out. And I, as a kid, it like gave me horrible nightmares. But, <laughs> but the thing is, though, like she most horror movies, I'm always just like, oh yeah, that's sweet. Because I saw Alien and the Thing at a mm. very young age. Yeah, <laughs> I think like, yeah, I think maybe maybe it's just our generation <laughs> where it's just like, oh, all the big movies of the '80s were insanely violent and had some pretty horrific stuff in it. So you you, know, you just got to see it when you were a kid anyway, because right. like, yeah, yeah, the Terminator takes out his eyeball with a scalpel, but like, oh, whatever. You, you can watch that. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, you but, know what? Kid, kids just don't process any of this stuff. They'll deal with it later in life. Yeah. The thing is, because she, she's got a tablet, though. Like She has a little tablet that she plays games on, but it has access to YouTube, and you can get all those scenes from it on YouTube readily available for you. So if she ever gets curious about, oh, I wonder what happens in it, she, all she has to do is type it in, and it's just there for her. Right? Man. So then, uh, coming back around, yeah. <laughs> it's the Lord of the Rings. And what's going on here? The second half, well, at the end of the scene, like Legolas and Aragorn have this awkward little stare down. Mm. And then Aragorn leaves because... He feels suitably awkward after declaring that he's going to martyr himself for the people of Rohan. And he walks away. And Legolas goes to follow him and Gimli's like, let him go, laddie. Let him go. Mm. He just stops him. Which is one of the, ha- what, one of not really all that many, like, comforting friendship moments that you really kind of get between Legolas and Gimli. It's mostly shown just through the competition aspect of their friendship. Yeah. So you get this, and I think this is a lovely little setup to the 
never thought I'd die side by side with a with an elf. How about a friend exchange? Mm. I think this is a lovely little setup for that moment. Yeah, yeah. Where That's you a... see that they have like a, a comforting friendship too. Mm. That's um, it's, it's almost kind of like weirdly. I guess maybe it's, it's, so, it's so weird to say because you it almost come across a bit almost kind of paternal. But it's just the fact that, like, oh, Gimli, because he looks older, and then Legolas just looks like a young guy, where you realize that within the actual right. character, the way they're working, Legolas is probably older than Gimli, I'd imagine. <laughs> like, way older. Yeah. But also, like, John Reese davies is apparently just a pretty gentle, paternal kind of person, mm. just behind the scenes. His first night on set, he took everybody out to dinner and paid for everything, I guess. Uh, he's he's one of those celebrities, uh, you know... Uh, you got a lot of people like I wouldn't want to meet them because like oh they'll never live up to the expectations and whatnot. But because John Reese Davies does seem like such a genuinely nice man, it's just like oh, I'd love to just, just, you know shake his hand and stuff. He seems like he'd be right. he he would reciprocate in kind of been like just a, a, a genuinely good dude back to you. But yeah, every so often in the commentary, it's like John Reese Davies and Christopher Lee are the the most fascinating people to just listen to. But they also sometimes say the thing of like the least substance. They're just very complimenting of the other actors in the movie and the scenes that they're watching like they'll pipe up in scenes they're not even a part of and be like oh this is a lovely scene miranda miranda otto is a lovely actor and a lovely person it's like john reese davies just has nothing to do with this (laughs) he just pipes up in the commentary and stuff stuff like that just really makes me smile it's just like oh they all love each other it's great yeah, John Reese's we, not bringing any of that. Uh, have you ever seen her in that movie with uh, movie with Hugo Weaving, True Love and Chaos? He doesn't have that kind of commentary gold that uh, the Lord of the Rings minute is bringing to you here, folks. Right, man. I did actually so do a, the... a, a quick. Uh, I, I just had it because I had to write it down. It's been like, oh, I just have to mention this once in my life to somebody. So I did a quick peruse of John Reese Davies, just of his IMDb, to see like, oh, what else has he actually been in? Like, in terms of, I don't know the basics of what he's been in, but, like, all the nitty-gritty stuff. And it was... Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, but I think the highlight that I saw was, apparently he is in the Flintstones Christmas Carol doing the, the narration, and this character's called Charles Brickens. And I was just like, ah, you Simps- or Flintstones, you've done it again. <laughs> he's also in some really terrible uh, movie... I can't even remember the name of it, but it's it's Doctor Quartermain from the the same character that's in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I don't I, I I can't remember if he plays him or not, but it's just a terrible movie that I know he's in because <laughs> I remember seeing it and being like, "What is John Rhys Davies doing in this movie?" <laughs> I think I think John is one of those guys, though. I, much like like we talk about all the time in in uh, Batman, is that Chris Walken, great actor. But he he will be in anything. Like if you if you pay him, right? He will do anything for money. Yeah, and he's he's not ashamed of it. He's very. I, I believe I've read interviews with Chris Walken where he's like, you know, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm an a, actor. I get like, paid to jo- act. Say I'm a job and actor, and if I'm in something that happens to be good, well, that's you know all the better. But I, I don't really care if it's good or not. I'll I'll just be in the movie if you pay me. So I think jo- I think he's got the same attitude of just like, hey, I'm just I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Like I I need to make ends meet as well. So yeah, if you offer me a role, of course I'm going to take it. Yeah. So we go from Gimli and Legolas' little exchange to this shot of Helm's Deep, and we move into Theoden's quarters. Here, I guess, is kind of the the impression I get from the space that this is Theoden's quarters while he's at Helm's Deep, and. 
we we start to lead into what is my favorite scene in the whole trilogy, which is Theoden getting armored up with the the poem, which starts next minute. Mm. But this is the lead in here is there's some cool imagery going on here. Me and Cassandra spoke early on in the movie about this kind of saintly imagery sort of surrounding Theoden when we first meet him. Yeah. And it's kind of reinforced here with the backlighting and the silhouettes. Just this space feels very, like, empty church. Mm. And it's a very quiet, somber moment. And he's being very meditative on the situation he's found himself in and not just in a, you know, really thinking about that he might die, but also, am I a good man? Like, this is a weird confessional moment for Theoden. And I think it's really interesting the way that he's sort of framed across these, this movie in particular. Yeah. It does have, like, a lot of, I guess it'd be, I don't know if you'd call it survivor's guilt or whatever, but he must have some sort of, uh, the, the fact that he was under uh, Wormtongue's sort of spell for so long, and you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have that crisis of just like, who who's who's going to trust me now and stuff like, and the idea that like I have to go and lead these people after all this, and you know, I have the strength to do it after what they've seen me as, and all, all that sort of stuff as well, like added weight on top of it. I like that gambling is initially just like, oh man, I really shouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> He's like, oh. am I, who am I gambling you, you are our king sire <laughs> it just came in just like I just came in to tell you that everyone's in the armory dude it's like I don't have time for a philosophical discussion with you and then man I'm gonna just like gush about this so much in the next minute and I really want to save a lot of it I just I really like the way that this moment sort of plays out because Earlier in the movie, it seems like Hama was really Theoden's right-hand man. Mm. And now Gambling's just kind of been thrust up into this position that Hama used to fill because Hama was killed by a warg. And there's just little moments where it seems like Gambling is in a little over his head because he also hasn't really had time to process that the man who seems to be his best friend is gone. Mm. Oh, totally. Totally. And... I don't know. Gambling, gambling's trying, and he looks so. In this scene in particular, to me, gambling looks so, like skinny and worn down. Mm. Just the maybe it's just a trick of like the way the light hits him in the scene or whatever. But he has a very gaunt expression on his face, and just he looks so tired, and it really underscores how, just kind of done with things Theoden looks like he is. <laughs> he does have, even this, the the stance, though, of just, like, standing in the middle of the room doing nothing, it does have a, a, a vibe of, like, ugh, <laughs> like, it's, he's, he's just done. <laughs> like it's, there's yeah. a, there's, a, there's a, a wave of just been completely lost, of just standing mid-room. Not even, as we'll see, you know, I don't know if it's, it's part of gambling's duties to dress Theoden for battle, or is it mm. just that he's he is literally so sort of uh, you know uh, again just lost in what he's attempting to do and the, the sort of magnitude of everything coming that he just physically can't just go over and start picking things up he just has to kind of stand and stare for a while. 
right? Someone doesn't stand silent in the middle of a room because they know what they're doing. <laughs> Is it that's, Gamma? that's just not like... something that people do. <laughs> Gamling's just like, oh, your your armor's over there, sire. <laughs> just like, I know where it is, damn it. Just leave me be for a moment. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my gushing about this scene for next minute. Oh, uh, by, by all means. <laughs> so, I'm from the website duelinggenre.com. That's where you've probably found this podcast through. But uh, Niall is from Batman at eighty nine, and I'm sure that you have your own website. That you'd like to plug? Uh, we actually don't have a website. <laughs> we uh, we just do everything via Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Because we were told oh, there we're you getting, go. We we're trying to get we're getting the website, and I was like, oh, we think we think these you know social media sites are doing enough of the job for us. So uh, we just like you know, maybe one day we will we'll, we will go fork out and go. You keep hearing about Squarespace and all these damn podcasts, <laughs> so maybe we should give it a go sometime. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, so where can uh, people find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, we're just, uh, we're actually just now just Batman it because we were previously Batman at 89 and then we've dropped the 89 now because we've moved on to the second movie. Um, so yeah, just if you Google Batman it, uh, you'll, you'll find us with a good, I've, I've checked, we do come up instantly. Uh, yeah, and just, uh, Twitter and Batman it and Facebook, uh, we have the Batman it Listener's Cave where people can come in and, uh, chit chat about all Batman related, uh, media. We, you know, post news stories from what's the, the current, uh, ongoing cataclysm of the the DC uh, cinematic universe that's happening, uh, and uh, also just post loads of uh, various memes about um, the Batman films, old and new. So uh, we're always up for a chit chat. And yeah, you can find the podcast on like, iTunes and your normal uh, podcatchers. And uh, yeah, just Batman. It uh, as I said, uh, actually this is this is Monday's episode, isn't it? So. Yes. Uh, the season Batman Bat Minute Returns will have started today. So you can go and download that first episode of that Batman Bat Minute Returns right now. Or you could just listen to the whole other first movie, which we've already got just laying in wait for you there. So uh, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> all right. And if any of our listeners are interested in supporting our show or DuelingGenre.com as a whole, you can go to DuelingGenre.com slash support to support us on Patreon for a little as as little as $1 a month. As always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Ed Foster, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Fade and getting ready for battle. Bye!